FX Medicine is your gateway to news, resources and information on the safe, evidence-based approach to practising complementary and integrative medicine. Visit fxmedicine.com.au to sign up for e-news and stay up to date with the latest research, podcasts and industry information. Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining me on the line today is Beth Bundy again, who's a qualified naturopath for over 17 years, specialising in integrative and functional medicine. Beth worked previously as technical consultant with PathLab, one of Australia's original functional pathology companies, and she's currently training health practitioners as clinical consultant at Nutripath Integrative Pathology Services, where she's in very high demand, I might say, as an engaging, informative speaker. And Beth also works as a functional medicine practitioner in a busy and highly successful integrative medicine practice. Welcome back to FX Medicine, Beth. Um, Beth, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, because I actually have sun in Melbourne uh, today, which is, you know, good in this type of uh, wintry day. I mean, normally we have four seasons in one day in <laughs> Melbourne, especially this time of year. That's exactly right. And we'll be actually talking about something uh, to do with seasons or cycles, and that's the methylation profile today. So let's dig right down into it, because I think there's a lot of controversy over methylation. It, it, it seems to be the latest fad for some people, and I certainly believe that there is import for this profile and indeed for genetic testing in certain individuals. But I think it's become the new flavour, you know, the new black. Would you agree with that? Oh, totally. It's it's the trending topic, that's for sure. Mm. And, you know, notwithstanding that there are, there's a large portion of the Australian population that have some form of SNP, um, but whether that's uh, clinically important for them, I think that that group is far less. But we're going to be talking about something slightly different here, not SNPs, but the actual biochemistry of the methylation pro- profile. So, Beth... What is the test and what is it test for? Okay. Well, first, briefly, I think we need to just briefly go over methylation and remember that it is a process by which your body transfers a methyl group into a series of amino acids and proteins and enzymes and DNA in each and every cell in the body. Um, It's involved in many things such as detoxification and processing hormones and neurotransmitters, producing energy, among other things. And and this is a biochemical process that the body goes through continually every day and we'll call it the methylation cycle. Yeah. Now, in relation to what we can test here in Australia um, to measure the analytes along the pathway or the methylation cycle, um, I just thought I'd briefly go through that, if that's okay. Mm, Absolutely. All right, then. So, Andrew, I'm going to attempt to draw a virtual diagram for our listeners here. Uh, so you need to work with me in cyberspace, people. Yep. <laughs> All righty. So um, you can just imagine my hands waving around. You know, <laughs> I actually can, Beth. The cycle. You can see me waving around that. <laughs> I've All seen right. you lecture. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, the windmill arms. All right. 
So the methylation cycle, if we imagine it as like two wheels of cogs, uh, let's put them on top of each other. And imagine that we have the cycle on top, which moves on to the lower cycle, as if you have the two cogs, you know, turning into each other. Yep. And the top cog, we'll call that the folate metabolism pathway, which going through, um, say, in a clockwise turn, we have tetrahydrofolate or THF, which moves to folinic acid and around to 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate or 5-MTHF. And then uh, we move through to the lower cycle, which has methionine, S-adenosyl methionine or SAMI, mm. then S-adenosyl homocysteine or SAR, which becomes homocysteine, yep. all things running smoothly. So ultimately these cogs turn around and around and where they meet in the middle is where the 5-MTHF from the upper cycle and homocysteine from the lower cycle via various enzyme um, you know, procedures yep. and with a major cofactor help of B12. Yes. They become THF and methionine again and so the cogs keep turning over and over. Yeah. All right. And then from there, the drawing gets all messy because then we move out from homocysteine to ultimately create glutathione, but we won't go into that here. Yeah. Um, anyway, we used to only really be able to measure B12 and folate and along with homocysteine and histamine. These were all we really had to ascertain the methylation status. And, and they were serum part. tests, yeah? And they were serum tests, yeah. yeah. And now we can, still in serum, we can test for more of the analytes of the methylation pathway, um, the folate metabolism and the methionine <coughs> cycle. So this includes tetrahydrofolate, folinic acid, mm -hmm. 5-MTHF, SAMI and SAR. And then to this, you can add your folate, your methionine, your homocysteine, histamine, ammonia, glutathione, folate and B12, all part of um, a methylation cycle. Yep. And we can also measure now easily active B12 or holotranscobalamin, which has actually been shown to be a better measure than the total B12. Even though it's a small amount, mm. it is a more accurate measure. Yes. Uh, so the beauty of this now means we can actually customise which methylation factors we want to test rather than being tied down to a particular test profile or a set amount of analytes, we can individualise the test for our patient, which I think is great for practitioners and our patients. Oh, absolutely. But can you do us a favour? Can you describe these various analytes and what they do? Because they all mesh together and... I think people have forgotten. You know, back in my day, this is what we used to do. This is all the methylation cycle, if you like, was to do with. And then SNPs came in and it was like, oh, my God. But with it's almost like we've forgotten the import of this test. And I think the difference is that this tells you how that work that you're doing on those SNPs is actually achieving benefit for your patients. So That's would, right. Yeah, so would you mind going through the importance of the various aspects of these tests, please? Sure, sure. So I want to mention that we have to remember that folic acid or folate um, is a synthetic form, okay? That's not the one that's, you know, natural or yep. found in nature. Yeah, folate. It's added yeah. to the grains and in various countries, including ours, mm. um, and it was all about neurotube birth defects, um, but... 
it, it is still normally converted into THF or tetrahydrofolate, um, but some people are not able to carry out this reaction as well Effectively, for yeah. genetic reasons, yes, such as the MTHF arsenic. And therefore, in this instance, folic acid is not the best form for those people. Yeah. However, we need to remember that for a very long time we were using folate and doing okay in mm. a lot of our patients. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So then we have um, tetrahydrofolate, which is the reduced form of folate, um, which many other folate forms are synthesized, produced from. Um, so it kind of serves as the hub of the folate metabolism. Yep. Um, 5-MTHF is then the methyl um, donor, so to speak, the next one along the track. Mm -hmm. And then we have SAMe or S-adenosylmethionine, which is the main supplier of the methyl groups for many methylation reactions in the body, including uh, DNA and things like making carnitine and CoQ10, melatonin, uh, neurotransmitters Mm. such as adrenaline and um, noradrenaline. So very, very worthwhile thing to measure. Then the SAR or the S-adenosyl homocysteine is the product that um, is produced kind of like the demethylated SAMI. So, and it is a potent inhibitor of methylation reactions. Mm. So again, it's worthwhile knowing where that's at. And because efficient removal of adenosine and homocysteine is imperative to prevent the accumulation of SAR. Mm. So um, because homocysteine is normally removed or recycled, in that remethylation to methionine where we said where the two cogs meet. Um, And that needs 5-MTHF, B12, betaine or trimethylglycine to help complete those two cogs to spin. Mm. So that's that's the things that we can measure now, which adds more, say, colour to our picture. Yeah. And and – I guess we're sort of muddying that picture a bit, but if you can draw a stick coming off the, or a drain, if you like, coming off the bottom circle, um, that's where you metabolise out of that, uh, out of homocysteine into, as you said before, glutathione and taurine and sulphate and things like that. But that yeah. involves B6 and serine and things like that. But what, what I love about this is the biochemistry is so elegant and it, it's almost like a perpetual motor. Um, if you look at, um, forgive me here going off on my rant, but I have this old huge poster at home from Bowringer Mannheim, the biochemical processes of the human body. And now it's online. So you can look at it. I think it's from La Roche, um, Bowringer. Um, but the, what I love about it is that in normal biochemistry, it's it runs itself, so one thing spins off on one side and then comes around the other side to feed into another biochemical process, which then completes the circle, circle, if you like. But what I also note is that there's certain things in here that are quote-unquote bad, like homocysteine, and, you know, blamed for cardiovascular disease, neural tube defects, um, you know, depression, anxiety, blah, blah, blah. And yet mm-hmm. in that cycle, in that same cycle, you have the let's say, the answer to that, the partner to it, Um, indeed the treatment for many of these conditions, Um, and and it cycles. So all we need to do really as natural health practitioners is complete these cycles, make sure they're running. That's all we're doing. 
Yeah, well, that's right. We just need to make sure that there's enough petrol in the tank to keep motoring it along. That's exactly right. But And I, I think this is where people get caught up on SNPs. SNPs will tell you what you have, whether it affects you or not. This sort of profile will tell you how your treatment is working. Yeah, well, I like to think the SNPs is like the lottery ticket, like that you're given. Yeah. Um, but you ne- don't necessarily have won the prize yet, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it only gives you what you could win mm. or, or not win. Yeah. Um, but this test can actually then tell you, well, how much cash you're actually taking away this week. <laughs> this sure. week, yeah. And, yeah, 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 and yeah. when and when I win the lotto, it's normally a whole twenty two dollars. But <laughs> um, oh. so so with these tests, though, I mean, you know, there's so many different types of tests on the market. Some are invasive, some aren't. How is this test performed? This is a, a blood test. Mm-hmm. So a patient would need to um, get a, a kit and go to the local pathology collection centre to have their blood drawn. Yeah. Um, it is very important with. Um, this test, though, is that specifically for things like the SAMI and SAR, they're very, very sensitive little analyzes. So it is imperative that um, any of the samples are um, taken back to the lab on dry ice yep. to um, maintain their integrity. And they've also got to be done in a fasting state, correct? Indeed. Yeah. Indeed, preferable because we don't want any confounding factors. But the um, the keeping the stuff on dry ice is very important because um, it has been shown that the samples can um, you know degrade and the the quality of the sample won't be as good and so we may not be getting you know a true reading. So for um, so so for naturopaths in say Queensland, very hot climate, yes. um, temperate climate, so um, um, they have to get that sample back to Melbourne to be tested. How do they ensure that it's under dry ice? What happens? What's the process? Well, usually the collection centre organises that. Right. The, um, so, for example, Nutripath um, have some associations with in Queensland, it's QML, and they actually put it on dry ice in the collection centre and have it transported directly. Right. So and all that stuff's been organised. So I think this is probably going back and rehashing a little bit, but when would a practitioner do the test? To me, it seems an obvious sort of baseline and treatment, but when would you consider this test over other tests? Yeah, well, like we said, it seems to be a hot trending topic and I have noticed that some practitioners are very keen to do this test first, you know, first out the gate. Right. And sometimes it's we don't know also necessarily always need to jump straight into that. I mean, if you look for evidence, um, you may find it in the symptoms, but they're not always in the test results, mm. you know, and <clears throat> people are complex. And I definitely think that practitioners need to remember they need to put the clinical presentation and the history and test results together. Yep. Plus, you've got to add family history into the mix too with, with this sort of stuff. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, so some signs that may indicate a patient has issues with the folate metabolism may be a history of allergies and hay fever, uh, recurrent miscarriages. Uh, some neurological issues, family history of early strokes or heart attacks, uh, addictions, depression and anxiety. However, we must remember that not every anxious or depressed patient we see has pyroluria and or methylation issues. Thank you, Beth um, Bundy. <laughs> oh, God. Please. It's like there is, and plus, 
how did we survive before these tests came on board hmm. and and methylated folate and methylated B12 came on board? Did we treat these patients I think prior we took, to that? I think we took a good case history. <laughs> I think that was the way. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, exactly. that's inflammatory. <laughs> highly, highly, highly important. But you know what? It, it is a complete mix. Absolutely. And this is... This this to me is what is missing, indeed, out of medicine, let alone naturopathic practice. This is what is missing: the time spent to take a an excellent, not a good, an excellent case history, an excellent family history, an in depth look at what happened. You know, this mm. is this to me is the key. Well, because I also think that um, you. You can doing some of these tests can create a lot more confusion because instead of you know we've kind of tried to nut it down into this under over methylator you're either in that camp or in that camp yeah. you know yeah it's you know it's like the red team or the blue team and it it's not quite as easy as that so um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up with some of the other tests to consider in relation to the history of case history is, you know, sometimes our patients come to us and they've already been to the uh, local GP to be checked out and told that they're fine, in air quotes, mm. um, but they may have already done a B12 and a folate test, yeah. which is like, great, we have that. Um, the other way we can look for B12 and folate insufficiencies is in the urine. Uh, so we can me- measure methylmalonic acid. acid. Yep. And formin- I can never say this, formimino-glutamic acid, <laughs> which is B12 and folate, respectively. Yeah. Um, you can look at <clears throat> uh, urinary organic acids, which that's where you get those from, uh, because elevated methylmalonic uh, acid shows um, a probable functional deficiency of the B12. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this can be the issue related to the methylation cycle block or you know, um, bottleneck. And because we've got to remember B12 is very important in the pathway to keep those cogs, those two cogs turning. And often that might be a place to start rather than jumping into SNPs and full-blown cycle. Um, I I think what you say is right, that sometimes for practical, pragmatic purposes, what you want is the end product to show a difference between baseline and treatment. And that's really what exactly. you are affecting. Um, exactly. So it's kind of like, you know, it, I guess this is the difference between a marker and a target. You know, a marker can be that chemical which you would like to look at to see what's changing, but the target is what you want to really change and to see change in your patient to show benefit. Yeah, and that's why baseline testing, I think, is very important. It's it's often when people have say, "Oh yes, my, I've done all this therapy, and now I want to test." Mm. Like, well, Crazy. great, but you've got nothing to. <laughs> yeah. How do you know how good you're actually doing? Yeah, because um, you know, like in some, to go off tangent here, in some measurements, if you are so high, the machinery literally cannot measure that high. Mm. So sometimes you may have noticed you get reports back, and it'll have greater than. 5,000 yep. safe antibodies, uh, thyroid antibodies. So if you get a measurement and it's greater than 5,000, you don't know that maybe they're 5,001, 
but they started at 12,000 and mm. your treatment has greatly improved that. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the sorts of things that we we don't know. So the baseline is providing you're not over something. Yeah. It's always handy to see even a little incremental well, what's the opposite of incremental? The backwards way, <laughs> uh, the down way. Don't ask is, me for that. Is, not that. Not this. Yeah, I don't know that one. Um, is, is what you know. We can look. Um, the other thing is decremental. To know, I mean, blood tests may not be handy for kids, and this is where if you've got a little kid, rather than doing a full blown methylation cycle, maybe you could just do your methylmalonic and your glutamic. Mm, salient. You know, because it's easier than doing getting the kid to wee than it is to get blood from them. Absolutely. And then perhaps this is where you would use a MTHFR buckle swab because it's low cost and it's easy to do. If you want to check that before you then jump into um, the methylation cycle, um, you can do amino acids because that is relevant and you can do those either in urine or blood. And so that's how we can measure our thionine, our taurine, our serine, our cysteine, which are all cofactors and metabolites of the methylation cycle. Um, but the other thing, I think, again, going back to case history, is we know there's a long list of conditions that are associated with methylation issues, and they can be found on the internet, so I'm not going to rattle them off here today. But we must remember many of these conditions can be caused by other reasons, um, you know, environmental toxins, heavy metals, good old stress, ageing. Yes, unfortunately, it happens to all of us. Um, Never. Medication. Um, diet. Mm. So apart from having a nutrient-poor diet, we've also got people that are quite strict vegans and maybe not following the vegan diet as well as they should. And these people can have really low or no B12 in their diet, um, which then is obviously going to affect their methylation cycle. They'll have very little um, possibly amino acids uh, in their diet to really keep these cogs turning. And, of course, those who like to have a tipple um, a little bit too much, they completely can really deplete their B vitamins um, and increase their SAR levels. Uh, So some of these things we can measure, but maybe if we look at their diet, their lifestyle, their history, we can change some of um, symptomatology before we even have to test. Mm, that's right. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is the the relevance, if you like, of any testing. Any testing is it only really should confirm your suspicions that you can't otherwise confirm sort of thing. Um, so I, I, I guess this is the difference between a screening test, um, which are, you know, they have been abused in the past. We know about vitamin D, for instance, um, versus the very important screening test that, is poorly utilised, and that's uh, blood in stools that that government sponsored once you turn fifty. Um, a, yeah. An extremely poor uptake for something that has very high importance, which is crazy in itself. It's like a flip. Um, you mentioned right at the beginning, though, about testing with serum B twelve, and I'd just like to warn our listeners in Australia: the um, it was taken off the PBS listing for screening. Um, in uh, November 2014 with vitamin D. What I don't get there is that vitamin D was definitely abused. We were wasting millions of dollars. And in the first year of not doing vitamin D tests as a screening, we saved, uh, forgive me, I, I know I'm going to get this number wrong, but was it was it $42 million? Uh, You know, I... Um, um, Kelly Belinsky wrote a beautiful paper, so 
B-I-L-I-N-S-K-I, Kelly, K-E-L-L-I. Um, and I think it was Stephen Boyages wrote a, a beautiful paper showing the cost savings of vitamin D. That aside, I don't get why B12 was taken off because it has definite import with people with pernicious anemia, vegans. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why that was taken off at the same time because I don't think it was abused. Um but anyway, I, I wanted to point that out for our listeners so that they know, you know, where the landscape is from, um, you know, a, a testing costing perspective. But to go on to another question, you know, I, I guess this is a bit of an obvious question. I think we've already answered. But if we can just recap, how is the test different in not just what it is, but its import in SNP testing? You mentioned the lottery t- ticket. Um, yeah. But yeah. but. Where have you used SNP testing for benefit and where do you go, eh, there's no point? Right. So the the genetic testing, there's numerous SNPs. I mean, we can do hundreds and hundreds of them and just get stuck in the mud. Hmm. Um, but we can test for MTHFR gene mutation. We can test for MTR, which is methionine synthase. We can test for... Uh, MTRR, which is homocysteine reductase, AHCY, adenosyl homocysteinase, uh, COMPT, um, and CBS, which is cystothione beta synthase. Now, all of these genes are part, as in MTHFR is the gene related to um, changing the, the folate around to 5-MTHF, yeah. these genes are involved in you know, the process of turning homocysteine into something, you know, beast, you know, something into something, metabolizing yeah. something at the end. Yeah. Like they're all like your poster that you had on your wall, whereas I had a WAM poster. But if you wanted <laughs> biochemical processes, you must have had a wonderful teenagehood. But um, um, <laughs> I never, ever had a WAM poster. <laughs> Missing out. Um <laughs> So, so the, all these genes are wonderful to know about, but they, like the lottery ticket, they're only a potential. They're a potential possibility, risk, or issue with the methylation cycle. Yeah. You can have heterozygous, homozygous, you know, one gene or two genes, and it will differ depending on the other genes in the mix, yeah, of how many, like if you've got homozygous for a whole range of them, then yeah, sure, you're probably in a pickle. Mm. But if you've got a if you've got no mutations here and a hetero here and a homo there, maybe, you know, again, because we're all individuals, we've all got the same recipe. I like to say to people, we've all got the same, you know, recipe mm. but some of that how we put that those ingredients together yeah. can be different and it comes out the different end. So whereas when we're testing our analytes, so our SAMI, our SAR, our um, you know, folic acid, our 5-MTHF, it's really more of a functional test. So it's going to show us where at that point in time um, the body is actually um, doing its thing. It is functioning, whereas the, the, the DNA SNP testing is great for an overall um, picture, but this is... Um, really showing us here and now what's going on. That being said, it can be quite confusing. 
because people are thinking, oh, 5-MTH equals this, you know, this equals that. But what they're not doing is putting it together and it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's not one piece. It's a lot of pieces that have to sit together properly. Yeah. So how do you use the methylation test to guide therapy? Do you, do, you, do you find that it's better to do this test as a baseline to say, okay, that's where you were, now let's treat and then guide dose? Or do you use things and not use things, on or off? I, I think it's about using things or not using things. Right. So okay. because I have seen, um, you know, these people getting all caught up doing the methylation profile and then getting all in a muddle because they said, oh, I'm positive they're an under-methylator or I'm positive they're an over-methylator. And then the test results come back with all the different pieces of the puzzle and they don't always say the one thing. They don't all lean towards one way or the other. Right. So it becomes this um, – and, and we have to remember we're not always one way or the other. Mm. So we could test today and test later, you know, in three months' time, and there could be differences because we're dynamic and we're changing from, like we said before, our diet, our lifestyle, our environmental exposures, yeah. our SNPs and all that sort of stuff. So a methylation test can be helpful, I think, if we've looked at the basics, we've had a real good case history, we've definitely brought family history into the picture, um, and then we've may have done some of the simple things like the B12 um and some of the other bits and pieces that we do along the way. Mm. I, I usually do other things first because, and looking at some of the lifestyle things because Absolutely. they're things that we can, you know, and diet and lifestyle because those are the things that making small changes can make really big changes in the patient. So, so that was actually going to be my next question. Have you ever used just diet or indeed just lifestyle interventions, like, for instance, exercise, and seen a great gain, um, a benefit in the methylation profile from baseline to treatment level? I've actually seen, yes, my answer is yes. I'm not one for doing a lot of these tests at all, to be honest, mm. because I will do things like, my active B12, um, a general nutrient profile. I might do amino acids. I might discuss definitely changing the diet. And sometimes even I find a lot of these sort of patients that have some of these issues, do you know what? Just being heard mm. and me spending an hour yep. in a consultation talking to these people and letting them really say everything they need to say and having a tear if they need to, uh, can be so therapeutic yep. to them. Absolutely. But then they're also, and they're quite happy that I'm not just going to throw tablets at them, that if I say, look, can you get out and walk the dog more often? Can you make sure that you're eating? You know, some of these people don't eat breakfast, yep. don't eat lunch, you know, go all day without eating, um, and then wonder why they're strung out and, pinging off the wall, yeah. you know. So sometimes definitely just getting them to get more greens into them or just some small changes can really um, help. And then then I kind of find that some of the symptoms kind of like fall away mm. and then you get more to the core of where you can see you need to go. And sometimes it may be methylation. Sometimes it may be B12. 
that kind of FIFA protocol thing. Or sometimes it could be hormones and just stress and adrenal support. So, so, so when, when would you choose, though, to do a test rather than just working on the symptoms? Um, to me, this is, I think this is a confirmatory type of approach. Yeah, I, probably if uh, case history is really kind of, there's a lot of signs there that think, okay, there's a long history of depression or anxiety um, uh, and uh, maybe medication or there's been stuff going on, addictions and and the fact that they've been, if they've been around to a lot of places and tried a lot of things. Yeah. And yeah. not quite got there, then perhaps I'd say, right, well, let's do something that maybe no one else has done, mm. and then let's do this because then we might see, you know, a really high SAR or a really low SAMI, or we might find some crazy levels, you know. Mm. Um, mm. And, I, and, uh, I, and that's I, probably. I think I think therein, you know, it's like when people have been everywhere, done everything, and quote unquote, nobody's believed them. They finally come to your door, and you give them something to go see. There is an issue, and we can work on that. And then they get this directed therapy. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and that's probably you know if they've you know you hear them out and they say I've done this, done that, and then you say look, we need to just give you some B twelve and um, you know B six and methylfolate in mm. this instance, and in a small dose, I don't hit them with you know a, a single thing between the eyes. I mean, I've had. Many, you know, uh, people selling products and practitioners say, oh, if they have the MTHFR gene, then the patient has to have methyl folate. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, no, they don't because the gene SNP does not equal a medical condition mm-hmm. in this instance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a direct correlation because of all the other genes. I mean, we've got 23,000 or something. Um, I also have the question, I also have the the thing in my mind about um, can you use higher dosage to barge through that enzyme, quote unquote, blockage? Um, um, And and I don't know because I never tested SNPs um, back in my day. But I I remember a case where a a male had a homocysteine of 19. Um, We gave him low dose folic acid B12, B6. Increase that dose, and that slowly dropped to around the 13s, I think it was, um, and it was hovering, and nothing was working. Even when I adjusted the dose of the the B vitamins up, and it was like, why? Um, I remember adding trimethylglycine um, in a powder, um, in a cute little um, sherbet spoon. <laughs> to everybody, <laughs> practitioners will remember this from Eagle, but. Um, and uh, that dropped it from 13 down to 9, but it, it sort of hovered there. And I remember, forgive me, backtracking a bit, I remember to drop it down to the 19s, down to the 11s, I used 5 milligram folic acid, um, the, the pharmacy only one, the uh, S3 one, um, and that dropped it. It's still hovering higher than what I would have liked, but that dropped it. So my question that I have is, was there a... Was it a gene blockage? Was it a biochemical blockage? You know, where was why? If so, why was there a biochemical blockage? Um, so, can nutrition barge its way through some of these SNP? Um, I think the barging animals. can be a little bit problematic mm. uh, because, like I said, when people say, "Oh, MTHFR equals five MTHF yep. as a remedy," um, 
I have I have seen patients suicidal when they've been given not by me, but when they've uh, been elsewhere or self treated on um, you know high dose five method tetrahydrofolate. Yeah. Because it just was, too, you know, their cycle. They were like trying to put in a a big bucket into a thimble. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's the issue. Too much, gene, too soon. Yeah, if a gene, if you've got a gene mutation that's only working, let's say approximately forty uh, percent, then sticking a hundred percent of product in there is not going to make that gene or that, that process go any faster. Right. You're just going to possibly end up with a bottleneck and then back it up elsewhere and just throw the whole thing. You know, it's like a spanner in the cog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Dr. Uh, Denise Finesse covers this. She's seen people go AWOL like you like you described. Yeah, it was. I was like, wow. And so that ultimately, when I've heard, and I've had two that I can think of that uh, came back with that um, story, that I was like, right, we need to be careful with what we do. We need to be careful with anything we do with people. Overdoing things. That's a things salient is, point, Beth. Oh, my God. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. Mm. Even water will kill you if you do too much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think... I, I also that, think there's a point about safety of practice as well. Um, you know, we, we should always be looking at those things that have great import and higher safety profiles. So even though they might have a SNP, you know, uh, let's say a... Um, uh, homogenous TT SNP, um, we should still be practising things like, um, I'll say cognitive behaviour therapy, Mark Donahoe will slap me around by saying that, but but mindfulness, behaviour type modification. We should always be looking at these sort of things. So counselling, psychologists, you know, the involvement of other practitioners in there um, because they're showing yeah, to be safe. Ab- absolutely. Because, yes, we can have a SNP that predisposes Exercise. us to something mm. and then then self-talk or whatever stories we have in our head mm. can just perpetuate something that is actually not a, a medical or a physical condition. That's a... it, it just becomes whatever. And then we have, you know, this orthorexia, for example, people that go silly over what they will or won't eat mm. and things like that, which is all of these sorts of things. It doesn't matter what snips they've got. If they eat or do something that's a bit too restrictive, it's going to affect not just their methylation cycle, it's going to, you know, look at inflammation, what's it doing to gut health, detoxification, hormonal balance, all of those pictures, Mm. you know, what's it doing to all of it. So I prefer to practice that I'm a little bit of a wuss and I give little doses and work, work my patient up to see where their sweet spot is rather than saying, oh, well, everybody starts on... Yeah. You know, 100 milligrams. Yeah, prescriptive practice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. So I like to do it a bit softly. And and I think another thing for crack is to think of, because now we know about pyroluria and we know about methylation, that people are very quick to label or suspect or just go, oh, that's the box they fit in. You know, I I find that... I think that know, shows fear. a lot of... I think when people do well, that, it actually shows fear of practice. You know, yeah, it, it shows I, I, I don't know whether they're looking for the easy. It's, mm. it's like people are disappointed when they don't get a positive cryptopyrrole result. Because <laughs> they go, well, I've read the list of symptoms on Google and I'm positive I'm pyrrole. <laughs> yeah, well, right. sure. 
But you don't have to have pyroluria to still have a zinc insufficiency, mm-hmm. you know, or methylation issues or inflammation issues or gut issues. So I think it's we're, we're getting too much into the labels rather than the concepts. Yep. You know, this is where I think the concept of inflammation and then all the beautiful things we can do for that, the concept of gut health and then all the different things because we have our gut and then we have how many diseases in, again, air quotes, do we have of the gut? Mm. Huge amounts. Mm. So we don't label everyone IBS. You've got IBS. Like, no, hang on a minute. I'm going to ask this question then. Have you ever used things like probiotics and seen benefit in methylation profiles because you're having, uh, you know, uh, let's say the word inoculating bacteria that make B12 for your, for your body? I, would, I, I dare say that this would be greatly, more, most greatly seen in people that had precipitously low B12 levels like vegans and things like that. Yeah, and I haven't done it and to note the difference. Like you would have to kind of do – it would be a bit of an experiment, I think, that you would do a single – because you can't do a baseline and wouldn't be a do a, a retest. Yeah, yeah, if they're not on – they've got to be on nothing else but your probiotic. Mm. So. Mm. That would be – I've not done it because that would be difficult. I'd be, I would be too much itching to give my patients other bits and pieces. Right, right. But I'm definitely into supporting um, adrenal health because I think the majority of patients with issues like methylation or pyroluria is aggravated immensely by stress. Yeah. And um, because then that begets inflammation and gut health and poor eating, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I think just by nature of the world we live in, um, we are very stressed, mm. which can potentiate potentiate these um, the genes and potentiate um, methylation issues. I'm going to ask a devil's advocate question then. Why bother? Why Uh-oh. not just treat? Why not? Why not just treat as we did twenty, thirty years ago? He says I didn't, but <laughs> and indeed. Indeed, being a devil's advocate. Indeed, why not? Yeah. Of course, you can. Yeah, you can. And again, see how you go. Yeah. And I, then, if there's issues, then yes, you don't have a baseline because you've been treated. But at least you go. Well, let's see where where I might be missing something because I know there's something not quite right. Mm. And so, let's have a look at: is it simply a B12 issue? Is it a an MTHFR SNP, is it an amino acid um, issue? Mm. You know, do we not have enough methionine? Like in these tests, I see people that don't have enough methionine. Mm. So then it's a bit tricky to make your SAMI without enough methionine. Mm. Mm. So it's this is the thing. It's not always about MTHFR. There are lots of other things on, on that pathway that can be a problem, you know, and that's... What we have to remember. Yeah, that's right. And and indeed, that's what you always remember. I, like, I, I loved speaking with you and people like you, like Dr. Denise Finesse, because you put all of this stuff with methylation into a practical, sensible, safe um, uh, paradigm, if you like, um, you know, where it's to be used responsibly. And I, I really, I really admire that about you guys. Oh, well, thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, Beth, seriously, like, thank you so much for taking us through the usefulness, the limitations, and where you would and wouldn't use this, um, indeed what it will tell you, what this uh, methylation profile will tell you. I, I really thank you for joining us on FX Medicine today. Oh, 
my pleasure, and I hope everyone was with me and saw my waving arms and <laughs> get, getting my, my passion and my enthusiasm for my drawing inside of me. Absolutely. You do a fantastic job. Thanks, Beth. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today on FX Medicine, please engage with us and let us know what further topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in contact with us through our website, fxmedicine.com.au, or look for FX Medicine in your favourite social media platform. You can also rate and review us on iTunes, and we'd really like to thank those who have already rated us. It's through your continued support that enables us to bring you current, complex and relevant topics to enhance your practice of natural medicine.